welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I am Griffin McCorkle. I do uh, a variety of things around here, but now I'm going to hand the reins off to the real star of the show, uh, Matthew Schufreiter. Matt, tell us about our guest today. Hi, Griffin! Hi, Matt. Tell us about our guest today. Taylor Denae, actor, right? artist, writer, singer, songwriter, cello player, one of a kind. She is so talented. Uh, I know her through uh, Columbia College Chicago. She did shows like Xanadu and uh, other projects there. She was also part of Les Sing. And we dive into just the makings of Columbia. The classes. Oh boy. Oh, I know. It is a, it's a heavy episode if you're a Columbia College Chicago person, folks. Yep. Uh, we also, we used to talk about her one woman show, Women and Women First, a feminist fable. And did you notice, Griffin? Her first word she ever said as a child was poppin for Mary Poppins. Oh, God. <laughs> Some people don't believe her, but she is here to speak the truth. So well, well, that sounds absolutely super califragilistic, exvialidocious. Let's go. Hello, Taylor. Hey. Thank you so much for doing this. Anytime. Awesome. So, where are you right now, and how is lockdown treating you? I'm in my bedroom. Lockdown, honestly, when you work service jobs, is lockdown really lockdown? We had like three months of legitimate lockdown and then I got called back to work and so my quarantine was about a fraction of everyone else's but and you're okay with that no of course not I'm missing out on my my eat pray love thing that everyone else gets well I guess my eat pray love can't go anywhere but like everyone else is writing the great American novel and whatever else and I have no time to do that so was there anything fun you were doing during quarantine oh god yeah, I feel like I've lived a million lives during quarantine. I had a brief stint as a uh, custom flower pot painter. I'm still doing that. If you want a flower pot, I'll do it. But <laughs> So I was doing that for a while, and I just would like paint custom flower pots for people, and that was my entire income. So to everyone who bought a flower pot during that, it paid my rent. Thank you. <laughs> just the things we do in order to pay the rent, right? Literally. Right. I became a dog walker. So. Right. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. That's a great go-to though. I guess that's people that walk their dogs, you know? Right. And why not? I I like dogs. So. Right. Right. So I'm just curious. I want to get into you just a little bit. So I want to just talk about young Taylor for a hot sec. You grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. What was, what were you like as a child? Oh God. I was, first of all, like off the walls at all times. Um, I, you know, that thing where teachers would pull the parents into the, um, the conference and be like, yeah, Taylor's just like a social butterfly, a joy to have in class. Like those are kind of like the key words where you can know that your kid does not behave and is talking at all times and doesn't know what the words shut up mean. <laughs> so that was kind of me. Um, I, the theater thing was sort of out of left field because I don't think I ever thought that I would end up doing this, but I'm like, what are other professions that loud people are good for? I don't know. Customer service, yeah. uh, 
lifeguards. Uh, I'm just naming jobs at the top. Yeah. Of my head. I could be a motivational speaker. Yeah, there you go. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yeah. What else did I do as a child? I start. I did start the arts thing very early on. I played. Um, my my school district had a pretty prominent um, music program, mm-hmm. and so I started playing the cello when I was about four years old. Mm. So I've been doing that for my entire life. Um, that was sort of like the bulk of what my life entailed. Um, I was also a competitive figure skater, which is another out of left field thing. Um, so I was, I was one of those kids that was like always doing something. I always had like a practice to go to or a rehearsal or a competition or something that I was, you know, traveling across the country for, um, which I guess kind of did help with like the, the, uh, craziness of what I was feeling, like never being able to sit down. I was like, well, I have a skating competition in three days, so that'll be my little vacation. And I'll go run around for three days and come back. So <laughs> what did your parents do during all this? Oh God. Um, my dad was sort of the, the dance mom of it all. Um, <laughs> he would take me to the competitions. He took me to the practices. He took me to cello lessons, whatever else. He was always finding the cello teachers and doing all of that. My mom, um, sort of like had to be in charge of the school essentially like making sure that I was still doing my homework because uh when you do that many activities you know things do sort of just fall off Mm -hmm. um because you at the end of the day you can't really expect a kid to be doing cello lessons sports whatever else and also be getting all of the the homework done Mm -hmm. we all tried our darndest but it's just not I think it's not necessarily possible but you know for people who do it awesome proud of you but it was that was sort of tough but it was I was very fortunate to have two parents that were both caring about those two aspects of what was going on the one parent that really wanted me to get all these activities in and then the one parent that was like okay now math class let's let's chat but yeah that's why it's about math no I feel like theater people are never good at math I'm gonna be honest you know what? That's fine. You can't have it all. No. Hey, we all have flaws. Some of us are really poor at math. Can't do math. You know what? That's fine. Really I, loud. I'm... Can't do math. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious. So what did Mary Poppins play a role in your life as a kid? Oh, you looked at my website. Okay. So, um, <laughs> research. I apologize. There, this is, uh, I often find myself having to like confirm that this actually happened because people think that I just say this as like, like, it's just like a figure of speech. It's not like something that really happened. Um, when I was very, very tiny, my, I used to watch Mary Poppins like every single day. That was just, that was just my movie. I would sit down and watch my movie and just vibe. It was like on clockwork and legend has it from my mother she said that my first word was Poppins. I would just request to watch Mary Poppins by saying Poppins. Or when I would see her, I would say Poppins. Um, um, I think there's that's very telling of kind of the, the uh, to, to get deep about it, the um, impact that arts can have on a child. Um, just having like a deep connection to one piece of art 
is very important. And I think to this day, that's something that's very important to me. I don't see myself being in like the Mary Poppins musical, but I saw that that new reboot that they did whenever that came out, like last year of the Mary Poppins Returns. And like, I was still feeling some type of way about it. Like just so excited. So like verklempt, as we say, um, seeing this piece of art that I had such a deep connection to as a child. Um, Julie Andrews, obviously legend, icon, someone who I was very inspired by, just someone who just has a sheer level of talent that cannot be matched. And people, all of those Broadway divas, that they're kind of like, you shouldn't sing that song because people are just going to think of Julie. You shouldn't think, sing that song. People are just going to think of Liza. Um, I think those people are very important because they do show a level of like lasting art. Um, and I think that's something that we sort of lose sometimes when we're doing this live theater. It's something that you do and then it goes away because it's live and it's, it's literally like fleeting in, in your hands. Um, and the fact that we can have these, these legends that live on and there are pieces of music that you cannot sing because you can never do it justice the way that Julie Andrews did it that is something that's very powerful about live theater, so. Yeah. Was it something about that movie or like maybe just Julie Andrews in particular that really stuck with you? Was it just the character or maybe her mannerisms? Um, I would say a lot of it is definitely the music. I was really into music like immediately as a child, but um, people always talk about how they hate that, uh, that animated part where they yeah. sort of go into the, um, like the animated world, but that was something that I was so obsessed with. I thought the colors were so beautiful and the idea that you could like quite literally jump into a piece of art was the craziest, coolest thing. And so I think the fact that Mary Poppins was just a magical being that could do anything um, was very important and very impactful. Yeah. Yeah. And then the cello, you said you started that at four. How did that came to be? Honestly, I think I just have like really bad FOMO because I saw this girl, uh, it was this girl that I went to school with um, and she, I don't know if she still plays cello to this day, but she, her mother was a musician. She was a cellist with the uh, Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra and I went to school with her daughter and um, I saw her playing cello one day. I don't know where we were, but um, she was like in a recital and we just like happened upon it. Um, and she was my age and another four-year-old playing the cello. Uh, and I saw that and I was like, dad, can I do that? And he said, no. So I said, okay. And I just moved on. And then about a week later, <laughs> my older sister's two years older than me. Um, uh, she asked him if she could play the violin and he said, no. And then about maybe a day later, he had reconsidered all of this. And he was like, well, I could let her play the violin but if I do that, I have to let her play the cello. And so we both started the violin and the cello at the exact same time. Um, so she's been playing the violin since she was six. Um, and she still plays. Uh, but yeah, that was sort of, it was just a matter of, I saw it and I wanted to do it. Um, it's like, that looks cool. I have to do that. Mm -hmm. um, Is music running the family up to that point? sort of I mean my dad had always been a singer he liked to be um like he liked to do like choral singing he had done 
some choir stuff when he was young. Um, his father played the violin. Um, but I think that's kind of the extent of it. Uh, as far as the music thing goes, my, on my mom's side, my, um, my uncle is an actor as well. Uh, but so there's like a very loose string of artists through our family tree. Um, but it's no one like, like, oh, this one person is now a professional clarinet player. It's, it's sort of like, yeah, we all kind of dabbled at some point. Um, but I would say the, the bulk of it is with me and my sisters, because we all play musical instruments and we all do something artistic. Yeah, I asked that because like my grandpa, he played this piano and guitar and banjo um, growing up. And then once he moved into this retirement home, his grand piano, he couldn't take in. So we ended up taking in my family. And my mom said, all four of you, me and my siblings are going to learn how to play piano. And we're all like, how do you do that? And so we're practicing Ode to Joy or stuff like that in a piano. Half of the, I turns out I was the only good person who actually played the piano. Everyone else was either picking their nose during the class or complaining about this is stupid. Um, and for some, and I always tell this story whenever I do in um, I talk to people about the piano. Um, whenever my grandpa came over for like Christmas or just whenever, he would always go to me and he does his deep voice and goes, "So how is the piano playing?" And I go, oh, well, I'm doing this. And he's like, oh, well, can you show me? Um, <clears throat> I always have to show him. Usually it's like Jingle Bells or where the Saints go marching because those seem to be like the two songs that like sound the same and anyone can really play it. It's just the three fingers. Um, and I would just play it and he'll be watching and you hear him humming in the background. <laughs> um, did your dad like hum the songs with you? Did he like always, or is he always like, all right, time to practice cello and all that? Absolutely. Um there, uh, I went to the String Academy of, um, of Wisconsin, which was like a, it was basically like a, it was a music school. You could like go to the music school, but you also went to regular school. It was not like a private music school, but um, they do this program. Every young string player has probably done this. It's called the Suzuki uh, Method. Um, and it's a collection of maybe like six or seven books per instrument where you, uh, it's a very like thought out, way to teach an instrument um starting with small things you do twinkle twinkle little star all that um and then you have loose uh arrangements of different folk songs and stuff like that and you, you sort of work your way up um but all the instruments kind of play the same first few things like there are some some standards that are some of them were written for the books and some of them some of them were written um they're like folk songs and stuff uh, but so the violin, cello, viola, everyone was playing the same few things. And so my sister and I would both be working on some random song called Hunter's Chorus or thing, things like that, or, you know, long, long ago, whatever. Um, uh, and then eventually they kind of branch off into more like cello music, violin music, whatever, um, things that have been written. Um, but those songs are very popular in our house. Everyone knows about Hunter's Chorus. <laughs> um, so he knows those. He knows, um, yeah, all the all the all the things they force you to learn. Twinkle Twinkle Little Star is obviously a hit, always a go-to. Um, but yeah, things like that. He and he'll he'll recall them sometimes. He'll be like, "Do you remember when you were learning Hunter's Chorus?" I'm like, "Oh." 
oh, are you telling me you want me to play Hunter's Chorus right now for you, Dad? Is that what you're telling me? Sounds like a request, buddy. Yeah. Let me get my cello. It's like I'm ready to go. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I remember like my first piano recital. All I heard was Trinkle, Twinkle, Little Star or when the saints like five times in a row and then I'm playing like this song called The Clown. I'm like, the hell's The Clown? The Clown, favorite song. Yeah, but, but here's the best part. It was clown with a K, not C. That's so punk rock. I, <laughs> yeah, that's, that was the vibe I was going for too. I was wearing shorts instead of my suit. So <laughs> you wear shorts with a suit. Yeah, that's just, that seems to be a phase now, I think. Fashion baby. Um, so up, up until, so before college, you're in high school, maybe junior, senior year. What, did you have an idea of what you want to do up until this point? Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> Bad question. I apologize. No, it's fine. I, I, um, I think I sort of, this, this feels like crummy to say this, but I feel like I sort of backed myself into a corner with the theater thing because I had sunk so much time and energy into it when I was a senior, um, a junior and senior that I was just like, well, yeah, of course, that's what I'm going to do. That's I've literally done nothing else. Mm-hmm. Um, that I had toyed with the idea of going to school for music and just being a professional cello player. Um, but I think I got I got nervous about that so I was like I feel like I'm I'll be more successful as a theater artist little did I know um (laughs) but um what's what's nice is that I've kind of found like a a place where I can do both of those things and not feel like I've missed out on this music degree but um yeah I think junior and senior year I was sort of just like I just gotta get out of here I gotta get out of Milwaukee gotta do something and Somehow that led me to Chicago. Yeah, somehow, some way. Somehow, some way. I feel like having a degree in something that you enjoy is so much more valuable than something that's going to make you a lot of money. Um, which, you know, I guess that's a controversial thing because we always have that conversation of like, damn, I should have gone to law school, should have gone to whatever. But I, everyone's... I, <laughs> This is so silly. My diploma is framed and it's sitting in my car right now because <laughs> I like picked it up from Milwaukee um, when I went and visited, but it's been sitting in my car for months now. Um, and I always joke like, oh yeah, just in case I, you know, need it on the road. <laughs> but I need like a new license plate or something. I have to like put in the back of my car. Right. Like I don't have my license. My license plates are expired, but here's my diploma. Um, And I kind of just joke about how like it is ultimately like a useless thing that I have it. But then I always kind of circle back and I go, but you know what? I had the time of my life at Columbia. That was so fun. That was four years of silliness. That was four years of just doing whatever. It was so fun Mm -hmm. that I, I have like, of course, everyone got bad memories from college. Like you also had to do that stupid math class, but like that was that was such a delightful four years of just joy, joy and good times and learning about things that are fun. Mm -hmm. So I, I put a lot of value in that diploma because of that. Beyond that is a piece of paper. That means that I did four years of rolling up my spine one vertebrae at a time. But other than that, I had a great time. So 
whatever was it was worth about Columbia like what made you want to go there was it just because it was closer to home and all that um I think well my dad um my dad grew up in Chicago so I uh I've been coming down here like all the time since I was very very small but um so I thought maybe Chicago might be the way to, to do it but uh a very close friend of mine went to Roosevelt and so I just applied to the only two schools I applied to were Roosevelt and Columbia um Columbia was sort of like, I wouldn't call it a backup, but it was something like, I know I'm going to get in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I'm probably going to have a good time if I go. So I'm going to apply there. I do like have some sort of desire to go there. It wasn't just like a, ugh, fine. One more, one more application for my parents. Um, I had only applied to Roosevelt and Columbia. Um, I ended up deciding to go to Columbia because when I was, like touring Roosevelt and doing like auditions there and everything, I noticed that there weren't a lot of uh, non-white people, Mm. Um, like specifically in the room, uh, auditing and um, accompanists were all white. Uh, All the people auditioning were all white. And so I don't, not to like, you know, make any bold judgments about Roosevelt and like how they run their stuff. But I think I like that attracts a certain type of person. And I think I was more interested in having a more, I guess for lack of a better word, diverse college experience, but not that like the presence of people of color is like, would have defined anything for me, but it does, it does adjust your experience because you're learning, you're, you're hearing different stories and you're, and it's, it's, it does not appeal to me to sit in a room with a bunch of white people singing the same white people songs over and over again. Right. It does not excite me. It doesn't, it does not build an environment for learning. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And it's like just the simple standards. There, there doesn't seem to be going any risk taken at all, probably. Right. Right. To to be in a room of 30 people with the same background financially is also something that I was wary of. Mm -hmm. Um, More than anything, rich people freak me out. So. Yeah. uh, I don't blame you there. They probably really like math. So like they suck. They're counting all their money. Yeah. I like how math is just the theme for today. You know what? Math. Everyone loves math everyone loves math so yeah so you went to Columbia and you know I think for me like when I went to Columbia the one thing that I stopped doing is I stopped thinking so much about myself like I stopped wearing suits like I did in high school I I did I was that guy I stopped doing like impressions and all that and I started to just more listen more and started to gain more information what's one thing you gained from your time at Columbia and what's something you stopped doing or stopped thinking about more during your time at Columbia um that's a really uh a question has many layers um something that I well something that I definitely stopped doing was um I stopped getting anxious to walk into a room. Um, I think a lot of my high school experience was being worried about who was going to be in a room. Um, 
like going to a rehearsal in the evening for a for a musical that I was in and just being like ugh, I have to see that person that doesn't that really is ruining my day and I want to see that person um I stopped worrying about that not because I like loved everyone that went to Columbia but just because it doesn't matter as much mm-hmm. when you're grown um Walking to a room, walking into a room where someone that doesn't like you is in the room is something that's going to happen for your entire life. So getting to Columbia and sort of like having to really think about why I was so anxious to walk into rooms was very important because I just stopped caring. I could stop caring about people not liking me in the room. I could, Cause I knew that I was going to be auditioning and that was going to be a lot of my life already. Just walking into rooms where people don't like you, but that's fine. I don't have to have everyone like me. Um, I think something that I like, I guess that would, that would also be something that I gained from going to Columbia was just a, um, a com- more, a comfortability of like of, with myself and who I was and knowing that, not everyone's going to like me and people people who just talk shit and just don't like you and talk about things that they don't like about you have so little going on in their lives that they have to talk about you mm-hmm. and have an opinion about you that just says a lot i think having an opinion about someone is a huge time suck so if you have a to-do list do not put talking shit about person A, B, and C on your to-do list because it will waste all of your time. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. I think, you know, reflecting back on time at Columbia, I think it really just, it is, I know we do, we do say that colleges kind of prepare you for the real world. Um, but I think Columbia really prepares you just for human interaction and just, think about people more um now that you're talking about this i'm like wow that really does make sense um like my sister's going to school for education right now and she's preparing to become a teacher but she hasn't (laughs) they haven't really teacher taught her how to prepare for how to deal with troubled staff members or other professors and all that which i think columbia has actually done really well i think yeah i think i think a bit a valuable part about theater education that Columbia does well is teaching you how to behave in a rehearsal room. Mm-hmm. Um, like I remember my, the last show I did at Columbia was Xanadu and like during tech week, there were still people who were behaving like they had never been in a show before, like during mic check, like talking during mic check and screaming and laughing loudly and blah, 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 and just not behaving properly and still like having uh just bad behavior for adults and I I think in general Columbia does teach people to um shut their mouths for a minute <laughs> you said it as bluntly as you can I love that I, well, you know what? I think that's important. And you said it before you said, you know, I've, I learned to listen. That's a very valuable thing to learn. Um, learning how to listen, learning how to absorb information rather than just, uh, giving it and trying to take it. Um, like they, 
like all those these master classes that we had to do, especially when you're in the the vocal program and the um and everything. They uh they make you watch these master classes and it's just people singing and then everyone talking about how that person's saying. And honestly, it is helpful. It is a really great learning experience because you're just listening to someone else. And just taking a minute to listen to, to someone else learn, that's huge. Especially yeah. if you have different learning styles, I think. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a spiritual, emotional question, so I, I apologize in advance. Um, if you had to like talk to yourself, like a younger Taylor, 15, 15 16, whoever, um, if you're starting, um, what would you tell that person, that young Taylor now, after going through that whole experience at art school? I think I would say, it's a good question. Yeah, first of all, I would say, you know, listen. Um, um, yeah, I think a major thing would just be to say, listen to other people's stories, listen to what other people have to say. Um, because as much as we all want to think like our story is unique and our story, like we've been through so much and we just all know what trauma is and everything. Um, everyone kind of has that same story to tell, like not the same story, but that same uh, weight of story. So just to be able to listen to someone else tell their story, um, I think is something that children are not taught. I think hearing versus listening is something that's not taught. We taught, we teach children to, you know, we say, you know, stop, stop talking, listen to the teacher, but we don't say, well, we say, listen, but we don't mean listen. We mean hear mm. and just like be quiet for a minute and hear something, but like it's learning to absorb information is something that I think uh, is not taught very well. Uh, I don't think I really absorbed information from other people until I was well into high school, maybe even into college. Um, and I, I think that there is a level of narcissism there, not to be like, you know, oh, I'm such a narcissist, but um, to uh, accept that someone else has something maybe better to say about something and that you may not be prepared to speak is major and that's what I would say to younger Taylor just listen someone else is going to teach you something mm -hmm. yeah no yeah. I and you talk about absorbing information and you don't think it's taught well um if we had to put you in a classroom and you had to teach younger students how would you try to teach them to absorb this information I think that's really interesting I think I think about learning in like, like a, like, like tapas, like small plates. Um, you kind of have to like start with one little thing and then you uh, see how you feel afterwards, talk about it. And then uh, you can add something else, do another one. Um, I think lecturing is a terrible way to teach anything. I have always thought that. Um, and I think, that's why I, I think in general that science is taught well in my high school specifically. I had a good time in science because the program was very well funded. <laughs> uh, 
but um so we had the opportunity to do a lot of experiments a lot of hands-on stuff so it wasn't just lecture 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 I remember that was a major qualm that I had with the math program um there was a lot of just lecturing that's why no one gets math too much learning I mean I guess like math is kind of hands-on but also it is you know what at the end of the day math's hard math is just too hard that's all I have to say about it. Math is hard. Um, but I think hands-on learning, and there are definitely schools that uh, promote this, but hands-on learning is just so important. And to tell a child to sit there and listen um, and just like hear things and then try to figure it out is very, very tough. Um, I think helping a child learn how to absorb information, like I've said 15 times, um, that there needs to be an emphasis on that. Just teaching a child to um, hear something and then apply it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think, yeah, that's something that we kind of, I think also in theater education, that could, that's sort of a misstep. Um, uh, Because there are some, I think in Columbia, a big issue that I have with the Columbia program um, was just like the size of our BFA program was just, it was just too big. And so we would be put up uh, in front of the class. We would do our song or our monologue, whatever. And they would give us a bunch of notes. And then instead of being able to apply them, we had to sit down because someone else had to go because we didn't have that much time. I think something that would have been an asset would have been it be, being able to go up there, apply the notes and then sit back down. Right. All the time I've sat down, I forgot what you said. Mm-hmm. And like, how are you going to practice it on your own where the day's gone by and, you know, you're not even sure if this is working or not. And then you come back the next, the following week and then you do it again. And, you know, what are the chances are that is exactly what they want? Um, right. It's, it's very difficult. That's how you get the same note over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's not because I didn't care about what you said. It's not because I'm not understanding what you said. It's because you gave me a note and said, okay, now sit down and just think about that note. Mm-hmm. don't apply it but think about how you could apply it if we had more time <laughs> <laughs> and like emotionally too like what's what's gonna what's the benefit of that I'm gonna get a note and then sit down and feel shitty about myself right like okay well I guess I'll just think about how bad I am at you know not rushing or right. not connecting to the music for <laughs> the next three hours <laughs> <laughs> and I got watch like, a group next to me actually do it. And it's like, oh, well, now I feel like a shitty actor right now. You know what I hate? hate? Okay, all Columbia professors did this and I will stand by it. They use other people doing well as an example for how you did bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if someone yeah. else up there goes and they're like, and they like do the thing that they gave you a note on really well, they're like, see Taylor, like that's what we're talking about. Like, like when uh, you need to like connect to the music, it's a little uh, more nuanced. Than, and they're just telling you how bad you are because of how well Sally did. Thank you, Columbia. Do you think Columbia like taught people how to accept rejection? No. No. <laughs> I, it depends. It does depend. Right. Um, I think some people, I think the BFA program hindered that. Yeah, the fact that you have to, that the part of the, being in the musical theater BFA, um, part of the requirements are that you have to be in two main stages, but that doesn't make sense to me because they have to cast you in the main stage. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't cast me, what, are you not going to give me my degree? Mm 
but in the musical. Xanadu was the was the musical. When all these people didn't get the lead, heads were rolling. People were pissed. And <laughs> people, so people who got into Xanadu was, was that? Yeah, that was my second uh, main stage. So I was, I was good. Um, but I had also worked professionally. So I wasn't like stressed about that. Cause I think those credits work for that same requirement. But um, a bunch of people that got into Xanadu had already been in like three main stages. Um, and then a bunch of people that didn't get into Xanadu had never been in a main stage. Uh, so that was, I think things like that really set people up for failure in learning how to accept rejection. So a lot of people were, there was just a lot of dr- drama that started in our BFA program because everyone was pissed if you did get into Xanadu and they were pissed if they didn't get into Xanadu and everyone was mad about Xanadu and 1980s uh, style jukebox musical. <laughs> what? Who are on skates? Who are on skates? Of all things to be mad about. Honestly, though, Xanadu was the most fun I've ever had on stage. But it... <laughs> We're all going to throw fits about Xanadu. <laughs> it was so goofy. Oh, I, I saw the photos. And I thought, oh, this is like the time of our lives. Right oh, it was so fun. I love, but it's like one of those things where you get to say like, yeah, once I was in a show where I had to roller skates and you can just all of a sudden be a roller skating expert. But that was so much fun. So much fun. I love Adam Goldstein. I love pop music. I love roller skating. I love glitter. Everything you want, nothing you don't. Um, I kind of want, so I found this so interesting about you. You have a one woman show. Women, I do. Women First, A Feminist Fable. Um, how long ago did you want to do this and how, why did you want to do it? Oh God. So when, you, when you're a senior at Columbia, they make you do this. Um, I say make, but it was very fun. I'm, it was not like a difficult thing to do. They, they have you do this, um, it's a, your final project is a cabaret. Um, you put on your own cabaret and you write your own story. And we kept it to like 10 minutes. Cause again, there were like 45 people in my BFA program. Um, so everyone had to do this 10 minute cabaret and you kind you got to do whatever you wanted. There was very loose requirements. Uh, I think it was like at least three songs go. Um, <laughs> and so I, they also started, made us start working on this the day after showcase. And I'll, I'll never forget that, Justin. I was talking to him at showcase rehearsal and he was like, yeah, tomorrow we want to start working on cabarets. And I was like, tomorrow? Tomorrow, sir. That is so disrespectful. <laughs> but I pulled one quick little thing out of, out of my ass. I was like, you know what I'm going to do? Impressions. Um, and so I did the song, this is the first day of rehearsal for this. I did the song Meadowlark, um, but I did it in, it's like a seven and a half minute song. So if you don't know it, it's the longest song ever. Um, and I did it in impressions of different Broadway starlets, divas, whatever that I admire. Um, and I said to them, I said, okay, I have no other work done for this cabaret, but I have this one thing it's very dumb and I'm going to do it. And Jermaine Hill looked at me like I was going to like 
just start puking on stage or something. He was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and I rehearsed it in class. And of course it was a hit, obviously. Um, <laughs> but so it kind of like spiraled from there. I, was, I still didn't have like a concept for several weeks of the, these rehearsals. I would just keep showing up with the same rendition of Meadowlark with these same impressions. And I had no clue what the show was going to be about. Um, and eventually I kind of decided like, what's important to me? Oh, women. Cool. And I, uh, wrote this story about, um, essentially the, the moral of the story is that, I mean, there's no moral, but the, the theme of the story is that women are the coolest. No, um, <laughs> women are awesome. And um, the female friendships and female relationships that I've had in my life are just hold so much weight and are so important to me um, that it is worth singing about. Um, and eventually I decided to take that show and make it longer than 10 minutes because how much can you even say in 10 minutes? Uh, so I took this 10 minute musical and I expanded it into an hour long stool, like 40 minute story about um, kind of like my self discovery as a queer woman in theater and what that means. Because I think right now it's very important to be um, a queer person in theater. I think it's less important to be a cis gay white man just because we have been telling that story for a bit now like we got it I mean there's always more to say of course but that's just not the focus right now I think queer women in theater is sort of like a, an up-and-coming um push uh as far as content creation I think it started it did start with fun home on a, on a grand stage um and I think we are continuing to tell the queer woman's story um, in different ways. And that's something that's very important to me. Um, and so I sort of told the story about what it meant for me as a queer woman to be in a heterosexual relationship. Um, I was in this relationship with a man. It was not fun. <laughs> it was a bad time, but, um, not, and he, he had a lot of issues with the fact that I was very obviously and very vocally queer. Um, and so sort of navigating that was something that I figured I could put to music because musical theater tr truly tells any story. There is no story that cannot be told in song, which sounds so cheesy, but it is true. If you think of something, there's probably a musical about it. Um, and so I wanted to tell that story. I think I'm going to go back to it and make a lot of edits but it does exist as a whole piece of theater right now. And Justin Brill helped me write it. Um, he's a professor at Columbia. Um, and so he'll be getting an email from me soon with, a, with an edited version. <laughs> <laughs> did your parents see the show? Did they see, uh, what did they think of it? They did. Uh, I think my, my dad is kind of like, whatever I do, he's like, wow, amazing, legendary, queen of talent, mm -hmm. the only singer ever. Um, my mom saw it and she did love it. She thought it was, the main thing that I think she took away from it was that um, she did not realize that I can, that I actually like had this passion for theater. I think she always knew that I was like into the theater, but I think she sort of potentially sensed the, uh, the sort of panic uh, of 
going into the theater, getting the theater degree just because it was something that I could still do and something that I knew I was like okay at. Um, and I think seeing that show for her solidified that like it is something that I'm good at and something that I'm passionate about. Um, I don't think she ever thought that I wasn't good at it. I think she wasn't sure if I was passionate enough about it to be a content creator or, you know, continue to go on and do auditions and things like that and do the big musicals and do the small musicals and do all the things that make a theater career complete for me, at least. Um, And I think my grandmother was just there. She just like loved hearing me sing and she was just like chilling with the music, loved it. Um, But yeah, I think it was important for my mom to see me uh, create something that was mine, that stood on its own um, and was completely original. Mm. Except for the music. I sang a lot of covers, of course, but. um, You know, I I asked that because um, like whenever I started doing Columbia shows or maybe some little shows like Eurydice or Rosencrantz, for example, my parents had no idea of like, what theater can actually be. I think up to that point, they were seeing a lot of community theater. I was doing Christmas Story, Adam's Family, Wonderful Life and all that, which is, you know, fun stuff to do. Um, but like when I do something like Eurydice, for example, and right. I have so many questions about like, why are you playing a rock? Um, <laughs> like who were these actors? And yeah, it's, I mean, good question. Why was, why was I Big Stone? Um, they were very, very confused about it. Even like Rosencrantz, which is really not, I mean, from when we did it, it was a lot more of clowning around, a lot more uh, different kinds of actors and all that. And my parents were asking about, who is this person? Um, they didn't, I don't know if they have a clear idea of what theater county is. I think they're looking at it from an outside perspective as opposed to someone like me who has seen, it, seen a lot more of it, has been inside that little bubble. Um, has, do you think your parents, are they on the outside of that little bubble of theater or do they have an understanding of what you do? Um, I think, I think they do have a pretty solid understanding in general. Um, sometimes the things that I do in theater, like if I'm, I think every single time I do a different type of gig, my mom is a little bit like shocked that that's something that I have the ability to do. Like for, for example, something that would really kind of throw her off is when I'll do something like I'll go play cello on the on someone's demo that they're sending in to a musical competition festival something um something like that she's like oh okay she's never like weird about it like oh you that's that's beneath you or anything because obviously it's not beneath me I love doing that stuff but um uh I think when I do something that's not acting, she's a little like, interesting. Okay. But I, cause I've, I have sort of created this like very confusing convoluted path to what I'm like going to do ultimately, which I don't know what I'm going to do, but I do a lot of different things. I will sometimes play in the pit of an, uh, for a musical. I'll be in a musical. I'll be the onstage musician for the musical. I'll write a musical shit. Like there's so many different things that I, do that I think it can be it can seem like a very overwhelming career path um but I think uh the least amount of explanation that I can give to people is 
is is best. <laughs> Especially my parents. I'm just like, yeah, I'm I gotta do a cello thing. It's it's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna go play cello somewhere. <laughs> I'm gonna, I gotta sing somewhere. It's fine. Yeah. My my did see as being the character actor who I want to be. I my, when I got the part, my mom was. I told my mom, I'm gonna be performing at this company in Cicero, um, Jetlica. And my mom's like, what's a, first of all, what's a Jetlica? Second of all, <laughs> what, you see Cicero? I'm like, yeah, what's you ready to see? I'm like, I'm telling her all about like, it's one of my favorite plays. I love the story. I love this. I love everything about it. And she's like, okay, <laughs> how are you going to do this? I'm like, I don't know. We haven't started yet, but it's going to be awesome. That's so funny. Yeah. And then she saw, and she's like, how, that, you weren't that's not a rock I was dressed like a Greek chorus as the rocks yeah. were but I wasn't wearing like gray my hair wasn't gray I wasn't like face painted gray it was like a lot of purple a lot of like really bright beautiful colors and my yeah. mom's like that wasn't a rock you were like this weird little merman you would tell me about as a kid <laughs> I'm like nope I was a rock no no I was a rock I was the big stone as <laughs> When we did Carolina Change at Columbia, I was, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, mom, I got cast in the, in the fall musical. It's a main stage. It's going to be so much fun. I'm playing the Jewish grandmother. It's going to be great. And she like Googled it. Cause she does that. She'll Google the show after I tell her about it. And she called me later and she just goes, so, oh, actually, I think this was like a, a couple days before she was going to come see the show. Uh, so she was already like paid for this experience. Um, and then was doing her Google. She goes, um, so as everyone playing inanimate objects <laughs> she was like who play is someone so someone plays the bus and I said yeah my friend Joan plays the bus and she goes are you I thought I thought you were the grandma and I said just come see it mom I promise it makes sense right it's like it's up, great it's like up at this point like any questions you have just just see the show yeah you know what this cannot be explained in a wikipedia article just nope. show up it'll be fine i'm not gonna explain it well enough either so just just see the show yeah i'm just i'm playing a rock mom it's fine it's fine <laughs> it's gonna be great yeah yeah honestly if my parents like see the show and they don't get it they're just like you're great which is all you gotta say right like great job honey and they yeah. leave it's great that's everything I want right like when my I can... will like uh he'll to this day he'll like recall questions that he has about a show that I did years ago though he won't ask them like after the show like I'll, every once in a while he'll just bring up uh like when I did cabaret in high school or when I did uh like Dr. Faustus is a good a good example because that's a very long show with a lot of characters and a lot happening. Um, and I did that freshman year and I played the Pope for some reason. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, and to this day, he'll like, just ask questions about it. And I'm like, do you want to read it? I have the script. And he's like, no, no, no. I just, I, I just remembered something that my dad's also to, to give you more background. My dad is very old. He is 74 years old and he, He's a very, very smart man. He um, has lived a lot of lives as well. Uh, but he always just has a question about something. 
and he'll he will not bring it up at a good time he will bring it up a year later four years later it's been four years since i did that show wow Jeez. Um, I kind of I want to bring up one more point before we go into our game, which was you did a cabaret, an all women cabaret. Um, to help me if I if I say it wrong, is it called Les Sing? Yes. So you played the cello and you picked this. Uh, you picked a song, and what, what was the song first of all? I sang <laughs> I sang "Complicated" by Avril Lavigne. If you don't know that song, I do know this song. I love that song. <laughs> why Why that particular song? Um, I like. Well, that song actually is part of my, um, it's part of my one woman show. Um, and I think it will always be a part of that show, no matter, no matter how many rewrites I do, because I think it's, it tells a story that I want to tell. Um, I think it's, so at the point in, when I tell it in the, um, when I sing it in the, in the show, the, my show, this, the point of the story that we are at is essentially like talking to my my high school self. And I guess this kind of goes back to like what we were talking about before. Like, what would you say to your younger self? Um, this is a really a good way to express like kind of how I would want to speak to a young person who is kind of like, has not considered the idea of being gay. Um, isn't necessarily afraid of it, but it's kind of just like indifferent about it. I'm just like, I could be gay. I, I probably not. Anyways, back to back to life. Um, to say, you know, you don't have to be creating this persona um, is very important when you're talking to, you know, queer children. Like, you know, like just saying like, we always say like, you can be anything you want to be. You can be whoever you want. But like the way... The, that holds more weight than people give it. It's kind of just like a throwaway phrase. Just like, you can do anything you want to do. Like, well, okay, what does that mean? Um, and I think I did put up a lot of fronts when I was younger, um, trying to not necessarily avoid being who I didn't want to be, but to avoid being too committed to any type of uh, descriptor. Um, so the very first word, chill out, what you yelling for? Um, all this, it just made me laugh. I was like, you know what? You're right. I was yelling all through high school. I was always trying to be the loudest person in the room, always trying to be the most unique, most interesting, most fun person in the room, just because I was so focused on creating a, a character, I guess, is a really good way to describe it. Um, and so I think that song really speaks to how I was feeling in high school, trying to just truly avoid committing to being who I knew I was. Um, and that that is in reference to like queerness. That's in reference to, you know, clothes I wanted to wear. That's in reference to like any personality traits I wanted to have. Like it was just truly creating that wall because I didn't want to solidify a personality quite yet um and I think to this day the song kind of does apply to how we live our lives as artists just chill out what are you yelling for like there's nothing you can do that um is like so groundbreaking that it sidesteps you having to create your own person um 
And so that's, so that's kind of why I sang that song. I think it does speak to, um, if I, I, I do sing it directly to myself, um, like six years ago. Um, and it does hold a very special place in my heart. I love punk music. I don't, just, I don't think Avril Lavigne's like the most punk rock, but she is pop punk and uh, I love her, love her to this day. And I, you know what? She's my punk queen, so that's fine. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of queen, I want to see if you can be the queen of this game. We're about to okay. play. It's called Time for Two. Oh, God. <laughs> Two minutes <laughs> on the clock. A series of random icebreaker questions. There's no okay. right. There's no wrong. I'm just curious to see what your opinion is. Are you ready? Yes. All right. Hold on. I got to stop the clock. All right. Here we go. In three, two, one go is alex trebek the greatest game show host of all time absolutely tv show you are binging right now the spanish princess on stars (laughs) are you a listener or a talker oh talker (laughs) do you hit the treadmill or hit the couch treadmill the sidewalk outside running (laughs) (laughs) uh podcast besides this podcast what podcast are you listening to right now Call Your Girlfriend, one of my favorites of all time. So good. Politics, feminism, menstruating. Love it. Uh, what movie would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical? Uh, the Secret Life of Bees. <laughs> Coffee or tea? Coffee. What is in your fridge right now? Ugh, beer. <laughs> Where does the end of the rainbow take you? Italy. Oh. Are you the Wicked Witch of the East or the Wicked Witch of the West? The Wicked Witch of the North. Ooh. Uh, Were you disappointed by the last season of Game of Thrones? Didn't watch it. I'm like seven seasons behind. Bless you for that. I'll work on it. (laughs) Bob the Tomato or Larry the Cucumber? Cucumber. Larry, love him. Big fan. (laughs) Uh, Favorite beetle? Ringo. No, George. Fuck, George. <laughs> uh, uh, sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Uh, what is your vocal range? Uh, E3 to G6. Uh, is it a beautiful day in a neighborhood? It's a terrible day in the neighborhood. <laughs> Burt Reynolds or Turd Ferguson? Burt Reynolds. And that's how we play. <laughs> 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 oh my god bring you should bring this game to parties whenever this pandemic's over right that yeah. was great do you write all those questions yourself i mean uh, yeah uh fun fact i don't have the sheet in front of me so i was uh making some of this up as i was going <laughs> favorite beetle <laughs> why uh, did that trip me up so much oh gosh it's it, you know what it, it's a tough question uh, you were really yeah, commit- like john of paul ideas people would go with so you went with george and ringo which is like i love george harrison he's i love him traveling wilburys great stuff yeah love well, him. my last question taylor is are your parents proud of you i think so i think they are um i think my mom's really nervous it's kind of like uh you know like when you watch this has been some okay Tony Hawk. I wa- Does anyone follow Tony Hawk on Twitter, Instagram, all the above? Okay. So he recently posted this. <laughs> I don't know where this is going, but I love it. <laughs> okay. He posted this video of, I think it's his daughter. Um, 
doing a, a going down a half pipe for the first time on a skateboard. I think that's kind of how like my mom watches me. Like she's looking at me like I'm probably going to face plant a little bit and I might like break every bone in my body. Um, she's proud that I'm doing it, but she's kind of like, oh God, stop. <laughs> I mean, please keep going, but also stop. <laughs> and I kind of look like I'm going to like teeter off the edge all the time because I'm all, it's, 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 there is no clear path as we've covered. There's no clear path to where I'm going, but it's a, it is a sure is a trip. Yeah, it certainly is. Yes. Taylor, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Math still sucks. Am I right, Griffin? Oh, I hate math. Yeah. Never a fan. It's just, it's not fun. It's just, I, I don't know. No, but that interview with Taylor Janae was fun, wasn't it? It was. It was fun. I mean, I wasn't here, but I. But you edited I, it, so you liked it. Yeah, and I, I trust your judgment, yeah. usually. Well, most of the time. Yeah. But, but do you know who I do trust? Uh, is it me? Sometimes. Oh, good. I'll, yeah. I'll take it. I trust the people who like the Facebook page and follow us on Instagram at Parents Proud Podcast. And Brilliant. Yeah. Our email, Parents Proud Podcast at. Of course. <laughs> Parents Proud Podcast at gmail.com. The greatest email to ever grace the internet. Right? Just the best. Please, please flood our inbox. I don't even I don't even care what you send us. Just I do. I'd probably go on it more than you. Oh, oh, unquestionably so, but folks, next week Whatever. <laughs> folks, next week we're gonna have singer, songwriter, Carl Hauk. Carl Hauk was actually my former English teacher when I was in high school. Really? Yeah. He left a year after I was there, uh, graduated, okay. and now he is the man of many jobs. One of them is an artist, so we're going to talk about the music business and what he's been up to since. Wonderful. Yeah. But until next time, I'm Matthew Schufreiter. That is, what's your job title this week, Griffin? Oh, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, uh, crap, it's getting harder and harder to make these up. Yeah. I'm our uh, I'm our official Lego builder. There you go. Everything is awesome. Yes, everything is awesome. Hopefully, before long, we'll we'll be able to have are your parents proud of you Legos made of us? <laughs> and I will build them. Oh, great, <laughs> folks. We'll see you next time. Bye bye.